0: You know, Patrick, I appreciate what you said about, hey, man, thank you for the gifts you gave Todd to, what was the word you used? Teach the Bible? Something like that. Uh, and I just thought, you know, it just hit me when he said that. I, my prayer is that my kids would say, I want to thank God that my dad lives the Bible. And, uh, and, and increasingly that you guys would not be encouraged because I've got certain gifts and opportunities to use those gifts to encourage you. But that more people would say, man, I love the way Wagner lives the Bible. I love the way Wagner pursues christ and that's a whole lot harder than teaching it well a whole lot harder and so i hope this week through our time of study that we all get better at living the scripture and um spurring each other on i i get asked the question every now and then what's your favorite book of the bible and i'm telling you it is really true it is always whatever book i am studying and um, there, there is just there's one kind of book in the New Testament that um, if you don't have a, a verse memorized from this book, you have not been a believer very long. Or you just walked forward to Billy Graham crusade, got your fire insurance, and have never paid attention since then. Okay, it is the book of philippians and it's a book that i've never taught through front to back because I just go That's the book everybody reads. It's kind of the the quintessential book that you just say well I'm, just you know Dipping in and taking little devos in philippians, but you're not really studying your bible But I got to tell you I I felt like that was the book that we were going to do when we were up here together as I I thought about this months ago And i've been looking at it and I, I This book To study it the way I've been studying it, it is right now, it is my favorite book. I cannot wait, in fact, later today to get back and spend some more time looking at some stuff for further in the week. Because it is just so stinking rich and so alive. And I want to tell you, every time I study any book of the Bible, whether it's Obadiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, or Philippians, it is my favorite book of the Bible. And so I hope that you come out of this week with a real appreciation for Philippians and that you um, have memorized some more verses but there's tons of just uh, salutation verses I sign a lot of my notes to people Philippians 1.3 I'm always encouraging people when, when they're discouraged Philippians 1.6 Philippians 4.13 uh, your son has that tattooed on him doesn't he? Mackenzie he has Philippians 4.13 tattooed on him did you know that? He, to- <laughs> he told me that he has that tattooed on him he, he told me that at uh, Austin's funeral that I did last week. I, I started just talking to him about how life was gone. He goes, well, man, I got Philippians 4.13 tattooed on me. I go, big whoop, what's that mean? And we had a great conversation because he didn't know what it meant. Really, he really didn't. But uh, now he does. <laughs> now he knows. He knew the verse. He looked at me and he goes, it means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I go, what's that mean? He goes, it means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I won't teach it now because I get to in a few weeks, a few days, but there's so many verses uh, that are in uh, this book that are just what I would call just visceral verses. All right? Um, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Um, Be anxious for nothing. I mean, I, you know, again, so much of this book I've memorized without just doing it because I'm just always around it. Okay? I press on towards the upward calling. Uh, forgetting what lies behind. I press on to what lies ahead. and I mean... Golly, it's not even trying So this is a book that a lot of us are familiar with at some level But I want to tell you when you study it as a whole What this book is really teaching you is what is Christian maturity? In a nutshell if you want to know what the mature Christian life looks like read Philippians And I'm just gonna give it to you write these three things down, okay, and um The very first thing it is, uh, the the mature Christian does life deeply with others. And it doesn't matter what those others are like, but I mean, you do life with others. Some people have said at Watermark, we make a sacred cow out of community. I don't think we do. You can't make a sacred cow out of something that God says is sacred. A sacred cow is necessarily a term that is used of something that has been venerated um, to that which it should not be. See, India, they're starving to death and there's sacred cows walking around everywhere. They can't kill them because that's Uncle Herman. Or uncle, whatever Indian name is. Um, give me a good Indian name, Bron. Deepu. What? Raj? Yeah, Uncle Raj. You can't kill him. I know we're starving, but the sacred rat, the sacred cow. And, um, and so, you know, community can never be a sacred cow because Christ calls us to that. It would be like saying, well, you guys take the Bible. We've been criticized for this. You guys make way too big a deal out of the Bible. That's a criticism I'll take. Okay, uh, I, I hope they say you got to take prayer way too seriously. Jim Wimberly, one of my favorite men in the world, when he was an elder, um, uh, you know, previously, uh, one of the, uh, one night he got called up and was being, um, I, I think the right way to say it is cussed out uh, by a member of that particular flock, and he, he just listened to him. He said, "Thank you. Can I just pray with you?" And she goes, that's another thing I don't like about you. Every time I talk to you, all you want to do is pray. So, great criticism you cannot make. A sacred cow at a prayer it's just part of the means of grace okay and so you'll find out that when you pursue, when you're a mature Christian you do practice the one and of Scripture with a diverse group of people people that the gospel has radically invaded their life and transformed them I'm going to show you today the church at Philippi I'm going to show you who made it up the first three members of the church of Philippi and they could not be more radically diverse okay And you're going to see that Paul writes to them. Secondly, the mature Christian life is a life that is radically pursuing (laughs) Christ-likeness. I mean, if you're not waking up and the infatuation of your heart is how can I be more like Jesus? How How can I live today in a way that will allow Christ to be more famous in this world? If you don't wake up and have a sense that, um, that the reason that you're alive is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and the reason that you're alive is to glorify Christ in this earth, then you're not a mature believer. Okay? You're practicing the one another's. You're pursuing Christ. And then here's the third thing. This, this is the life of a mature believer. Alright? You rejoice. You have joy. Th- that is what a lot of people, when they really talk about Philippians, they say it's the, it's the book that talks about just joy. Really, all joy is, is a, um, eternal perspective on all circumstance. And Paul is the classic example, and Philippians is the book that he really venerates, um, how to do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That's what that verse means. I, I'll, I'll say it now. Probably mentioned again on Friday, but I'll just do it real quickly. But that, that's a verse that is the most misquoted, misused verse. In all of Christian camping. I, I worked for ten years at Cannecuck and, and I mean I would always hear counselors, you know, that would be the verse. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There's a kid who's five foot, weighs, you know, two hundred and seventy pounds, he's on a trampoline and he's bouncing, he goes, You can do a double back, man, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm like, No, he can't. He cannot do a double back. Don't let him try to do a double back. I don't care how many spotters there are, he's gonna break his neck. That's not what that verse means. Okay, that that kid right there that's never swam. He cannot do the lake swim right now That's not what that verse means. He cannot quote Philippians four thirteen. He's gonna drown Okay, what that verse means Is that no matter what your circumstances life is that christ will strengthen you and give you the ability to honor him and worship him In the context of that circumstance and that is what a mature believer does paul models that That's where that verse is in context I don't really care what's going on. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 21, it's the key verse of the whole book. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't really care. Kill me or let me live. It's all about Jesus. I can live or I can die in every way singing praises. How? Because of Christ who strengthens me. He's sovereign over this life and he's sovereign over the grave. Do your well. I'll sing. Okay? And so a mature Christian life is somebody that just goes, I got it. Bring it. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to get rattled. I'm not going to freak out. I would like to be in Dallas with my family, with my, you know, my, my husband as he loses his father. But you know what? God has us here for a reason. And I believe, you know, we've consulted with others. We think we should stay. He should go back. My mom should come up. It's going to be okay. My son's got a kidney failure. It's going to be okay. Do I want that? No. It's going to be okay. I'm up here in Colorado. My car, you know, AC when I got It's going to be okay. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to get angry. That's the mature Christian life. And, and we've to move consistently towards it. This book is going to teach us how. Okay? Very quickly, we're not going to look at all at Philippians today. We're going to set up Philippians. We're going to go to Acts 16. I'm going to get you out of here as quickly as I can. It's almost 10 o'clock. Okay? Because today, for the last seven years, every time we've come, what we've always done is given you a chance to go and just be still and set up our time together. So I'm going to just take you to Acts 16. All right? And, um, and let's look at it together. All right? Acts 16 is when Paul is in Philippi. And I'm going to show you how the church started. Now, it's interesting um, that the three people, and again, remember the very first thing I said this book teaches you? That the the Christian life is a life that's lived together with the one another's in deep connection and concern for one another. Look at the start of this early church. I'm not not going to spend a ton of time today, but just to get you started. Let's just go down there to um, verse uh, 12 in Acts 16. And it talks about they went to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And they stayed in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, this is one of the few places that Paul didn't struggle a lot with what's called Judaizers, folks that were trying to uh, take the Christians and make them Jews. And part of the reason was there weren't very many Jews there. There was no synagogue. It was Paul's practice to always go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and teach because he was a rabbi and traveling rabbis were always welcome. But he didn't go there because Jewish law said that until you've got ten Jewish men in a city, you would not have a synagogue. As soon as you have ten Jewish men, you've got to have a synagogue. Well, they didn't have a synagogue, which tells us there weren't even ten Jewish men in Philippi. And so he would go outside the gate to a prayer area, and he comes across Lydia. Okay, And Lydia is from Thyatira, which is basically an Asian city. She's a seller of purple fabrics. She was a worshiper of God, which means that she wasn't pagan. She's also not a proselyte or a convert to Judaism, and she certainly wasn't a follower of Jesus. But she believed in God. She probably studied the Torah. She was a monotheist. And she was a, a God-fearer. You find Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was the same thing. He, wasn't, he was still a Roman, but he wasn't a pagan Roman, and he wasn't a Jew. He just feared the God that the Jews talked about. He was familiarized. So whenever you see uh, they were a God-worshipper, what that says is that they were not caught up in all the cultic, um, pagan philosophies of the day. They were monotheists. They had some general awareness that there was order and there was law, There was some semblance of uh, intellectual understanding of truth. But there was not complete clarity. That's who Lydia was. Very, very wealthy. From Asia. Had enough money to have a house also in Philippi. And you're going to see that that house was big enough to, on a whim, invite four men to live in it and not be awkward. Now, why do I say that? Because uh, a, a lot of houses over there are one-room houses. Clearly, this was not a one-room house, because you just don't bring a house that already has you, other servants, and children in your home. You don't invite four men into that without it being exceedingly awkward. Okay, so so Lydia had it going on and uh, was fairly well off. And so she was there having a little women's Bible study out, out by the river. And Paul just shows up and says, Hey, look, man, let's, let's, let's get it on. And... Uh, and he says, how about if I speak? And so um, he picks it up right there, and it says that she was listening in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to the things spoken of by Paul. So specifically, hey, Lydia, you, you're aware that there's a God. You're aware that there's laws and there's order. Well, what are you going to do about those laws and order? You know that the Jewish Torah talks about substitutionary atonement. Do so you know that those substitutionary atonements were continually uh, offered day after day, week after week, um, year after year, because they never completely satisfied the perfect wrath of God, this God that you know, this uh, god that you're familiar with but what i need to tell you about is that the perfect lamb of god has come his name is jesus and he taught him the substitutionary atonement of jesus christ god's love for the world his revelation through his son and what he accomplished through christ and lydia believed what paul preached was the gospel and it says the lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by paul And so it was probably a fairly intellectual, spiritually informed conversation. You've got an extremely successful businesswoman, maybe a single mom. We don't know. The fact that her husband's never mentioned um, may or not mean something. But all we know is that Lydia had it going on, had some spiritual, intellectual insight, had some uh, natural resource, didn't really have what we would say is the normal need for Jesus. But the gospel resonated with her and she converted to Christ. There is the first convert in all of Europe. There is the first member of the church at Philippi. Now, completely opposite of this woman, the second, if you will, member of the church of Philippi. Let's check this out. Here we go. It says, uh, it happened that as they were going, well, I'll read verse 15. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And it happened that as we were going then from the, to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. And I love this. This is, just, this is Luke writing about Paul. But Paul was greatly annoyed, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> All right? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound like he was really filled with the Spirit right there, but the Spirit of God used him. Okay? Greatly annoyed, it says that he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, man, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. All right, a couple of quick insights here. This is a slave girl. She is being oppressed. She is probably being drugged or through different methods of inhalation. She's being induced into some kind of ecstatic state to where she would. Um, Be involved with fortune-telling the word fortune-telling. There is very telling it's a word that basically is the word that we get maniac from Okay, it's not the word that we get profit from there are two very clear and distinct words in the in the Greek that could have used Whether or not she was really truth-telling and really Divining about what's going on in the future or whether she was just sister Cleo All right, or whether she was John Edwards not the great Enlightenment pastor, but the bozo sits on TV and talks to the dead. All right all the game and uh, What she was doing right here is what Plato talks about is what the maniacs do They foam with the mouth their eyes roll back. They shake violently and it just draws a crowd And everybody goes, dude, what is that? There's something otherworldly going on there. They're not informed. They're not in their right mind. And then they would say things. Often they would speak in that culture with their mouths closed. They were ventriloquists that had learned this skill. And people would go, there's something inside of them that's speaking that's not even them. And and people would pay money to get in touch with that spirit world so they could find out what's going to happen. Okay, what's very clear here. Okay, is that this woman, though, was in bondage. She was in bondage to the the guys that were exploiting her. She was in bondage to this life that gave her a sense of significance and fulfillment because she was a very cherished property. And so she was a slave to this system of thought, this way of living, this drug-induced state. But even in the midst of that, okay, um, take away the drug-induced state possibility. Let's just say it was what it was. Let's just say that she had given herself over to this... um, Uh, This this seeking the spirit world which there clearly is a spirit world and not appealing to the Holy Spirit And so let me just say this anytime you don't trust the Spirit of God anytime you don't trust the Holy Spirit You are necessarily trusting a less than Holy Spirit. We'll call it an unholy spirit Another word for that is what an unclean spirit. Another word for that is a demon Let's not make this more crazy than it is This girl was not seeking Jesus, and she was giving herself over to the ways of the world, and there was always diviners, fortune tellers, mystic gypsies, tramps, and thieves were everywhere. And this is what's going on right there, and it's not the spirit of Christ which is informing her life. There is no intellectual conversation here. This little girl found some value in the world because it was her role in life, and she was probably, like I said, well cared for even though she was exploited and finally, Paul just said, man, Spirit of God, do something about this. Stop this. Quit giving yourself out of that life. Follow us, the holy ones of God. You've been around us. You say we're the most holy guys. You say that we're following a Holy Spirit, that we're men of God. Well, follow us and quit annoying us and getting in the way and distracting people. And probably what these guys were doing is that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy that were in this community, they were, they were creating a stir because they were engaging people. They were talking about this new things. And everybody loves new revelation, don't they? Everybody loves somebody who's like, i got something new. People go, what is it? What is it? Okay? And so Paul, Paul and, and Timothy and uh, Silas and Luke were doing that. And, but, and so these guys were following along because there were truth seekers that were around them. And they had their own carnival act. And maybe some people were going to follow them. And so I'm sure people listen to Paul. But then, man, look, Paul's one thing. But this woman's got some really miraculous manifestations going on. Let's check this out. And finally, Paul said, this is getting in the way. Would you learn to follow this spirit and not that spirit? And out it came. And so look what happens right here, okay? Um, you know, this is really just through Paul just calling her out of bondage into freedom. And the Spirit of God used it. It came out at that very moment when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. Why? Because that slave girl said, you know what? I'm not going to be a slave to you anymore. I'm going to follow these guys. And what's the church always do? The church takes people like that in. said, come live with us. Lydia will take care of you. You don't need these guys. Maybe redeemed her. We don't know. Now I'm, I'm reading into the text a little bit. But this girl came out of that enslavement. And she no longer played that game. Maybe she said, let me tell you what's going on. And God allowed her to speak with a clarity in that moment. All right, these guys are doing this. I'm not really seeing the future. I'm just doing this, and you're intimidated by this, this, and this, and he's ecstatic. It's an act as much as anything. And anytime time you give yourself over to anything less than the Holy Spirit, your act is going to bring about bondage to you. That's worth writing down. It's just a fact. Anytime you give yourself over to anything other than the Holy Spirit, your act... Will bring about bondage to you. So, all right. So, most of you guys are not divining. You're not fortune tellers. You're not what Plato would call a maniac. But compared to what God says, God says the fool has said in his heart there is no Holy Spirit, there is no God. You are a maniac. You're not in your right mind. The way that you're thinking, you're giving yourself over to craziness. And what you need is somebody to call you out of darkness into light and run to that marvelous light. When that story that Blake uh, that Patrick talked about, Blake, Blake had a bunch of his buddies. He said, from the time I was 17 to 26, all I did is I didn't, you know, my parents used to tell me nothing good happens after midnight. That's why I waited to midnight to go out. And from 17 to 26, that's what I did. And some of the buddies that ran that offense with him from 17 to 26 were there to watch him get baptized six years later, because he still kept in touch with them. Okay? But he just said, My life was just crazy. I was a maniac. I was thought I was pursuing life. These are his words, but I was pursuing destruction. And then he bumped up, you know, through some little baseball deal with me. A six-year-old boy was put on my team. Actually, it was the son of an unmarried woman that he was living with. And, uh, and so I said, Blake, come on, man. you be a good man to lead that son, and I'll try and lead you and love you. And, um, and four years later, this guy, you know, comes to Christ and is walking with the Lord, leading his family. Okay? So all those kids in that baseball team, another baseball team his son was on, they were all there folks came to Watermark and sat and Blake gave his testimony for about 20 minutes about how Jesus invaded his life. And what he said is I came away from following an unholy spirit and it was called out of me. And I don't even know what was happening. He used to say this. I used to hate Paul because he'd make me feel guilty. And see that, that's really in effect what was happening is when that little girl was following around Paul and Silas and Timothy these men are the holy ones of God. Yeah, right. They say but we're doing this nuts. Yeah, right. Okay, but eventually, Paul said, Would you just come find out who this Jesus is? So, anyway, these, these guys uh, dragged him into the marketplace, Paul, and, and because they, their, their prophet center was gone. When they brought them before the chief magistrates, they said, Now, watch this. This is, this is where Jesse Jackson gets his offense right here. Watch. These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe because we're Romans. What, what card are they playing right there? Don't listen to these Jews. We're Romans. Okay, there is no intellectual conversation here. There is no discussion about truth and its merits. It's the race card. And by the way, this is one of the places that enemies of truth always go. They look for ad hominem arguments or they play the race card because they cannot argue with it on an intellectual level. Okay? And so what they're going to do is say, well, don't listen to the Jews, we're Romans. Don't listen to the Republicans, we're Democrats. Don't listen to the conservatives, we're liberals. Don't listen to the liberals, we're conservatives. Okay, instead of just saying let's talk about what just happened there and figure out if it's true And so the idea that people don't interact with truth and just go to uh, Playing the race card or whatever other card it is. That's not new That's been around for a long time There was no discussion about whether or not these men were the holy men of God All there was the discussion about hey This is what the Europeans do. We're Americans. That's why when we go teach overseas, we don't go teach them American culture. We don't go teach them white men's worldview. We say, this is about God. We'll interact with you about God. If you want to argue with us, you're going to argue with Scripture. If you want to tell us that Scripture is crazy, make your argument with Scripture. We are here to be uh, faithful representatives of Scripture. And so your problem will not be with us. It will be with God's Word. And that's really what Paul did. Okay? But there are going to be some people who just say, ah, I don't listen to them. They're just rich white people. Okay? Well, we may or may not be. But just because I'm a Jew, a Gentile, a black, Asian, rich, poor, the question is, am I speaking truth? And then wrestle with it and listen to it. Okay? So look, look, look how diverse these two first members of the church are. Here comes the third. The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them. They basically threw their hindies in jail. Uh, About midnight in verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. I'll come back to this later when we talk about Paul living out what he wrote the Philippians to live out. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundation of the prison house was shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep, he had seen the prison doors open, he threw his sword, he threw his sword, excuse me, he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. And he called for lights. He rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? No interaction here. Paul never shared with that jailer. He maybe heard him singing about the God that he loves and serves. But look what you've got here. You've got an intellectual, entrepreneur, wealthy individual. You've got a slave girl who's given herself over to an unclean spirit. And you've got a blue-collar worker who is faithful. That's the early church in Philippi. They could not be more different. What you're going to find out is that... One of them, Paul reasoned with, taught the scriptures to. Another one, Paul just said, you're in darkness, come to light. And the third one, Paul just lived faithfully before. See, this guy was an individual that was duty bound. He was a faithful individual. He knew if he didn't do his job, that he was a dead man. He took his job seriously. He heard his prisoners, that he was supposed to keep safe. were getting out. And so he drew his sword and said, if I can't do my job, I'm a dead man. He knew that to be prosecuted that way, but he just didn't want to live through the shame. Okay, And what Paul did is said, let me just show you something. Let me show you how to serve a different commander-in-chief. Don't kill yourself. Come over here. Let me tell you why we haven't run away. Let me tell you who we serve. Let me tell you why we don't really care if we're in jail or out to live as Christ, because Christ is the true king. And he's not one that keeps us free. He's one that will deliver us even from the grave. And you need to know him. And they watched, this jailer watched the way that Paul lived his life. And so three different ways, inside a very short period of time, we've got three different converts that could not be more diverse, and this is the group that later he writes a letter back to. And he tells them, man, stay together, crazy gal. Stay together, rich woman. Stay together, blue-collar guy. Stay together, Roman, stay together, Greek, stay together, Asian. You're all look at this. What Philippian church is made up of is a group of individuals that would never be together except that the gospel similarly invaded all their lives in such a radically powerful, transforming ways that a new community was formed. That was diverse on one hand and unified in another. That is that is us. I'm gonna tell you something. This is an incredibly diverse group right here. We have folks that probably would never have to work another day in their life if they didn't want to. And we've got folks that are trying to keep their rent and not have to move from a two-bedroom efficiency to a one-bedroom efficiency. We've got single moms. We've got guys that have buy and sell businesses left and right. We've got folks that would say, I gave myself over to deep darkness and chaos. And the eyes rolled back in my head and I foamed at the mouth and I was a maniac. And we've got people that were largely God-fearing moral people, uh, moral people that came to him. And we've got folks that were just duty-bound, honoring people that the grace of God eventually you saw. This, these are people. I want to know about, more about their commander in chief. And we've all come together. And we're to love one another. We're to pursue Christ. And we're to have joy in all of our circumstances. This is a letter written for us. All right? Do you see what the gospel does? you see what this church is? Now I'm going to come back and talk to you more about some of those folks and about Paul's interaction with them. But that's what led to the transformation. By the way, you guys, just like Paul, you don't interact with every non-believer you're going to meet this week the same way. Nor do you interact with every non-believer you meet in Dallas the same way. And there shouldn't be anybody you meet in Dallas. I don't care if they are a fashionista, okay? Or if they are a, uh, an absolute strung out, crazy, exploited by this world person. Or if they're just a hard work and good moral guy, just can't get through to him. The gospel is relevant and will transform if you'll just preach it. And then we come together. And we love one another. We radically pursue Jesus. And we learn to be content in every circumstance. Now you're going to find out. I can't wait to teach chapter 1. But I'm going to let you go and have some good time. Let me just do one last thing that we're going to have some fun with this week. What I'm about to turn you loose to do is is really, really um, important for the rest of the week. Because we get in here at night. And night is when we kind of share stories with one another. And we give glory to God. And fashionistas will stand up and say, let me tell you about my life with Christ how I came to know Him. And other folks will stand up and say, let me just tell you, man. And, you know, we always like to hear the demon-possessed, eyes roll back at the head, foamed at the mouth, crazy stories. And then the other stories of just folks go, let me tell you how I just came to Jesus. I was just minding my own business, but the gospel invaded my life. We're, we could not be more diverse, but we're going to hear and we're going to talk about what, what, what happened and what is happening. And we're going to practice the love of one another's tonight. And so I'm going to give you a sheet to go and look at just really um, the most of chapter 1. Okay, I want you to read through Philippians chapter 1. I want you to celebrate what God is doing in your life, where grace and peace have showed up realistically in specific ways this last year. They don't have to be huge ways. It doesn't have to be my son got a kidney. But it might be, okay? It could be the smallest of things. It could be, I, I didn't have the means to come here, and the, the body of Christ provided, and this week is just unbelievable for my family. Okay? I mean, there's so many stories here. Let's give glory to God. So write these grace and peace things down. Uh, it's all mapped out for you. We're going to give it to you when you walk out. But here's something else we're going to do that's just going to be fun. All right? Because you think about how if there was a the very first membership class, and those three didn't know each other, and Paul was leading it. Okay? Okay? <laughs> And, uh, and they all wrote down an interesting fact about themselves, and somebody said, I'm one of the leading um, fashion experts and international um, businesswomen in all of Asia and Europe. You go, son, who's that? It's three people, so it'd be pretty easy to figure out pretty quick. It's, it's the well-dressed woman in the corner, okay? All right? I was a jailer who was about to commit suicide, and the grace of God showed up in my life. Son, you, you almost committed suicide? Yeah. I was a failure. Couldn't even do my job. Okay? Third girl, all right? Her little story. Uh, I was what could easily be called demon-possessed. I was demon-possessed. And my, I, was, I was a ventriloquist. I was a carny act. I traveled. And in a way that I didn't even know, the grace of God invaded and brought me out of darkness into light. You're like, Who, who's that? Okay? So, look, what we used to do early on in the days of Watermark is we'd have everybody write down an interesting fact about themselves. And it can be all across the spectrum. And I want you to do that for me. I want you to write down something fun, interesting about yourself. Now, I just went back. This is why I had to go get my computer. And I just went back. This is from December 2nd, 2000. Okay. These are just some interesting facts about all the folks in the membership class. Before they sat down and I got started, I just said, "Write down the interesting fact." And so I just pulled out a few um, that are here. So uh, here we go. I was arrested in Chicago. Sounds like the second gal, right? Uh, I believe that John Wayne would have thrown up if you he ever heard anything from the Backstreet Boys or In Sync. That was what somebody wrote down. Uh, somebody said, I watch TV for a living. Somebody else said, my house has been struck by lightning three times. Somebody else said, I've been on Jerry Springer. We, we have a lot of the second girls at Watermark, okay? There's a lot of them. Uh, on, how about this one? Someone wrote this down. On August 16, 1977, Elvis Presley died. The news flash came over the radio during my eighth birthday party. All my aunts, all my cousins left the party crying before they lit the candles on my birthday cake. <laughs> That is hilarious. You talk about a moment where it's just enshrined, all right? That was their interesting fact. My eighth birthday was awful because of Elvis. Elvis left the building and they left my birthday party, all right? Uh, Somebody wrote down this. I I, I used to want to be a turtle when I grew up. Isn't that funny? Um, I got arrested for stealing mail out of Emmett Smith's mailbox. Recently I was selling my boat the prospective family wanted to test drive So I took them out to Lake Louisville. when we got out to the middle of the lake the boat caught fire burned to the water and sank (laughs) Everyone survived, but no sale. I have the entire movie of steel magnolias memorized Does that sound demon-possessed or what? I Have two different sized feet 10 on the left, 12 on the right, and only four toes touch the ground on both sides. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I have been on an episode of the television show, Cops, due mainly to stupidity and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was young and retarded. That's what they wrote. <laughs> I love it. This is your church. Is that not great? to look. So you guys, what I want you to do, okay, so this is, uh, I'll give you one more just to have some fun here. This is, um, oh, where'd that other one go? Oh, here it is. This is uh, July of 01, okay? Uh, I sharked a guy playing pool. No, the guy who, I, I, I took $200 from the guy who shot Tupac in a pool hall by sharking him in Phoenix. Um, I drove a race car for the Porsche Club of America for a year. I crashed through the window of a convenience store in Driver's Ed. <laughs> I've been through a two week military style survival camp in the jungle when I was 14. Um, I could play Chariots of Fire on the piano by ear at age three. I mean, it goes on and on. These stories are incredible. I mean, you wouldn't believe, I'm going to discipline myself and not read them because well, here's what I want to do. I want us to have some fun. Every single one of you, write down something about you. You know, there are others in here that say I'm a single mom of three and I'm dying to, to survive. That was, that was another one somebody wrote in there. Okay? And so it can be fun. Most of them are. Kind of those little three truths and a lie. Well, what is the most amazing truth? Or what is one of those moments that we all laugh at? What, what happened at your eighth birthday party when everybody walked out before the candles were lit? And let's just celebrate who we are and just say, this is the body of Christ, man. That like God's called us out from all over the things. And this is our Philippi, and we're going to love one another radically. Okay? We're going we're to say, let us become like Jesus. And I want to tell you what, if you could distill the entire Bible down to one section, you're going to look at that section this week. Okay? You're going to see it. It's in this book. This is the Bible in a nutshell. Okay? Okay? Um, and, and, uh, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to learn as we mature to go, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. To live is Christ. And, and to die is gain. And we're going to sing in our funerals. And we're going to live for Jesus. And the world's going to look at us and go, who are these people? And we're going to say, we're sons of the king. Come follow him. Okay? So you've got an hour and 15 minutes before you have to pick up your kids and this morning, we want you to use that alone with the Lord. All right. Write down uh, your interesting fact on just some scratch piece of paper, okay? And, um, and and Brooke, where can they put those so that we can gather all these? All right. When you come in tonight, just if you bring them tonight, all right? And um, and we'll have a box that'll just say interesting facts. And I want all of you, please, you know, write the fact and, and write your name on it, okay? And what's that? Well, you don't have to. There are a few that are not signed, all right? I do have names that go with every one of those. And there were a few of you that were in one of those classes that I've got your thing in here. I didn't read it, all right? Uh, but I will say that uh, it's just fun. And so, but, but tonight, there's also some stuff in there where I want you to really right now think about what's going on in my life right now that I ought to also give glory to, God. Or also ought to invite the body of Christ to come around me. That's what we do in the evenings. And you get a chance to go meditate on that right now in the context of Philippians. This is my favorite book. It will be the rest of this week. all right. And then we get to charge back into the next thing. Let me pray for you. And as you walk out, we're going to hand you a sheet. Okay, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to be together. Thank you that this diverse group of people have been thrown together in Dallas. And uh, we get to love one another. We get to spur each other on to Christ-likeness. And we get to live with the perspective of Paul, that we set our mind on the things above, not in the things that are on the earth. And we get to have joy and we can live through every circumstances through you who strengthen us. We say, Father, for us to live, may it be for Christ. And for us to die, may we count it only as gain. It's better for us, Lord, if we die. We know that. But we know that you've left us here now because there's people in Estes Park this week that you want us to love. In this room, in this camp, cleaning our rooms, interacting in candy shops and park rangers all around this region. You've left us here for a reason. And so I pray we would use intellect, truth an example to bring the gospel to this community and that it would invade through us in a stronger way back to Dallas so that the thousands of our body that aren't here could be encouraged by us as we return. Use your word now. Use your spirit to teach us, lead us, and grow us. For Christ's glory, I pray. Amen.